slowly making our way through Jude, but that's okay. Uh, whether it be slow or, or quick. Last week, we uh, got through verse 7, and we saw three uh, examples that, uh, or things, I shouldn't say examples, but things that Jude brought to the remembrance of the people that he was writing to. And uh, just like James, Jude was writing to believers in Christ. Uh, and that's something that we need to keep in mind as we read this. He's writing to believers in Christ. Now, this entire section that we've been going through here, uh, whose remembrance is he putting these things into? He's put them in, putting the remembrance into the minds of the believers in Christ, of the church. Uh, but uh, who is he talking about? During all of this, we know who he's talking to, the church, but who is he talking about? He's talking about these certain men that have crept in unawares. That's something else that we need to keep in mind as we read this. Uh, and he brings that up in verse 4, and he says, For there are certain men who have crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes into putting these things into remembrance of how God brought uh, the Israelites up out of Egypt. And he brings up the, uh, the angels uh, that, that fell, the fallen angels, the ones that rebelled against God. Uh, and he brings up Sodom and Gomorrah, of course. And these are the things he's putting into remembrance. But remember, he's talking to the church. And he's talking about these men, these certain men that have crept in unawares. So we'll pick up in verse 8 in the book of Jude. He says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. So he, he put forth uh, just before this, in the couple of verses before this, he put forth a, a triad of remembrances. Uh, as I've already said, uh, the Israelites, uh, God bringing them up out of Egypt. And the angels that are reserved in, the, and in chains and darkness and, and God overthrowing Sodom and Gomorrah. That was, that was a triad or a triplet. He, brought, he put forth three things. And in this verse here, he says, Likewise, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. That's one. Despise dominion. That's two. And speak evil of dignities. That's three. And every one of these can be, uh, can be used. And what he's saying here in this verse, the, the three examples or the three remembrances that Jude uh, gave there. He says they defile the flesh, but he calls them filthy dreamers. Uh, now, if you, if you notice in your King James Bible, uh, the word filthy there is in italics. That means that it wasn't in the original, tra uh, the original transcripts that were used. That's something that was added uh, by the people that were compiling this together. Anything that you see in italics, uh, it's something that was added by by the ones that were translating from the original Greek into our English version. But regardless, even if you, even if you take that out, and I'm not taking away or adding to the word of God, I'm just giving you an example. If you take that out, it would say, likewise, also these dreamers. Dreamers was there. It was there in the original. And uh, uh, what kind of dreamers is he talking about? Once again, we're talking about the certain men that were crept in unaware. And they had turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. And they had turned it into filth, into nastiness, and into wickedness. The grace of God they had done this to. Uh, 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 but he calls them dreamers. 
And he says these dreamers defile the flesh. Now, is he talking about false prophets that had had some dreams and they had gone to these churches or the assemblies or to individual Christians or whatever the case is and, and expounded these, these dreams that they had had to them that had nothing to do with God? Uh, I don't know if that's what he's talking about or not. That's the view that some people take is that he's talking about dreamers. And folks, this stuff like that goes on right now. People, uh, and particularly in the charismatic movement, people have, people have a dream about walking down a sidewalk and they'll turn it into something all spiritual and something all holy and something that it's not. And they'll go and, and you know, they'll tell congregations this. And they'll sell tickets to arenas to tell people this. And, and they do all kinds of, uh, of wicked things uh, with some, nothing more than a simple dream. Has God used dreams in the past to talk to his people? Absolutely he has. There's, there's account upon account in the scripture of that happening. But just because we have a dream doesn't mean it's from God. That doesn't mean, I, I've had some dreams and I know everybody in here has had some dreams that couldn't have been from God. There's no way God would have sent those dreams. And every one of us have had that. But is that what uh, Jude is talking about here, writing to these people? We don't know for sure. We don't know uh, uh, for certain. He could just be referring to them as dreamers as, as far as, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're dreaming of or they're fantasizing uh, about having their part in the church, about uh, changing people's minds within the, con uh, the congregation. That could have been what he was talking about. I don't know for certain what he was saying. All I know is that he, he called them dreamers and that the context that this is in, the, the translators for this thought that filthy dreamers would fit, uh, would fit a whole lot better to keep, uh, to keep us within the context of these certain men that have crept in unawares, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. But he, calls, he says that they defile the flesh. What is defiling the flesh? Well, it carries a number of different, uh, different meanings. But being as we just came out of a verse talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that uh, what sin is, was prevalent there, what the only sin uh, that Sodom and Gomorrah was guilty of, homosexuality wasn't the only sin they were guilty of, but it was a prevalent sin there. I mean, there were angels that went in unto Lot, and the men of the city surrounded Lot's house wanting to have relations with those angels. Now, they weren't angels like you and I uh, picture. They, you know, they wouldn't have had you know, a halo over their head or been, uh, it had the glory of God shining off of them or anything like that. But uh, they, were, they were in the form of men and they were in Lot's house. But the men of the city uh, of Sodom, they surrounded Lot's house to defile their own flesh with these men that had come into uh, to Lot's house. Now, beings that we're, we just came out of that verse, that's, a very good possibility that that's the particular defiling of the flesh that Jude was getting at. But folks, there's other ways to defile the flesh. We can defile the flesh just by thinking. We can defile, and how do we do that? Because normally when we think about something, we'll act on it. And when we, when we, when we think on sin, that's sinful enough. So if we think about it long enough, it, it drives a desire, it drives a, a lust within our minds. 
And sooner or later, that it's going to seep down from your mind into your heart. And once it's in your heart, chances are you're going to act on it. It will almost be like you can't help yourself until you act on that sin. That's defiling your flesh. It defiles your mind. It defiles your heart. It defiles your flesh. It defiles your whole being. And God created these bodies. God created us, human beings, to be a, a temple of the Holy Spirit. To, be, to, to indwell us with the, Holy, with the Holy Ghost of God. And if we're defiling our flesh, we're defiling the very temple that God meant for us to be for him. That goes for saved and lost people a lot. Lost people, they, they defile their flesh constantly because their mind is constantly defiled. Their heart is constantly defiled. Therefore, their flesh will be constantly defiled. But us saved people... We're the, one, uh, we're the ones that are supposed to uh, put forth an effort to keep ourselves clean. I understand that salvation, God saves us. He cleans us up. He makes us whole. He washes us in the blood of Jesus Christ. But there is scripture upon scripture in this book that I'm holding, in this book that you all have, that shows that we are to put forth our own effort to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We read that, uh, uh, the last book that we went through, we read that in James, that that charge is laid on us by God to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. If we're keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, that means don't defile your flesh. Don't defile your flesh. But these certain men crept in unaware. They're, they're guilty of defiling their flesh. And they despise dominion, according to uh, what Jude writes here. What is despising dominion? They despise authority. They despise the authority of God. They despise the authority of the people that God has placed in churches uh, or in the assemblies that these people uh, uh, were going into. These certain men crept in unawares. They, they despise dominion. And that's what the angels, just a couple of verses before this, were guilty of. They despised the dominion of God. They despised the authority of God. And that's why when Satan rose up in pride, when Lucifer rose up in pride, and uh, and he carried a third of the angels uh, with him, why was that? It was because they despised dominion. They didn't like who was in charge. And they were going a different route. They said, we want somebody else in charge. And it was with Lucifer, it was pride. With the others, they were just tempted, uh, tempted by Lucifer, and they agreed with Lucifer. Lucifer, which shows that they despised the dominion of God. These certain men crept in unaware, though they were they were despising the dominion uh, that God had set over the churches. Whether it was pastors, whether it was elders, whether it was teachers, whatever the case was, those that had a higher position than what they did, and they wanted those. Wanted them, and that's what that's what gets a, a lot of churches in trouble now. I'm talking about local assemblies. That's what gets a lot of them in, in trouble even nowadays. Is uh, somebody thinks that they can do a better job than than this one can? Somebody thinks they can sing better. Somebody thinks they can teach Sunday school better. Somebody thinks they can preach better. Whatever the case is, and and it gets festering in their mind. And before you know it, they're talking amongst the congregation. Before you know it, uh, after that you got a third of the congregation or half of the congregation that's against the pastor that God has set over those people. And that's despising dominion. That's despising authority. And speak evil 
those dignities. This is basically the same thing uh, uh, that we were just uh, talking about, but they speak evil of them. Both, and it's all around. It is all around. What's, what's uh, sadder, though, than lost people, certain men crept in unawares, what's sadder than those speaking evil of dignities is a brother or sister in Christ speaking evil of another brother or sister in Christ, and it happens. And it happens a whole lot more often than what we really even care to think about. This is another thing that causes church splits. This is another thing that drives people out the doors of the church uh, to never want to enter another church again. Is people uh, speaking evil of dignity. People speaking evil of people that don't deserve or don't need to have evil spoken of. There's a place for church discipline. Yes, there is. And scripture gives us strict instructions as far as church discipline goes. But I'm talking about backbiters. I'm talking about gossipers. I'm talking about people that have, uh, you know, they're just, they're, they're out aiming at people. They're out aiming at, at, at other folks. You know, these are the people that they'll go to church uh, uh, and they could tell you what everybody in the congregation was wearing, but they couldn't tell you one word that the preacher preached. That's the kind of people I'm talking about. They speak evil of dignities. They talk about whose dress didn't match their purse, or whose shoes didn't go with their pants, or whatever the case is. They're speaking evil of dignities. Now, those are, those are uh, kind of far-out <coughs> examples, but it's examples nonetheless, and it's things that shouldn't be going on. But what we need to keep in mind, he's talking about these certain men crept in unawares. We're talking about lost folks, that their entire agenda is to overthrow the work of God. It's, and it's to overtake the church. Uh, I said it while I was teaching the, the book of James. They have a, a rule or ruin attitude. And if they can't rule it, and they get drove out the doors by the congregation or by the pastor or deacons or whoever... They'll just go find them another assembly, another congregation, and see if they can't rule over them. Uh, and, and if they can't, they'll do their best to ruin it. They'll do their best to ruin that assembly. But these certain men crept in unawares, they're filthy dreamers. What makes them filthy dreamers? They defile the flesh. They despise dominion. They speak evil of dignity. So we had one set of uh, uh, triads or triplets. In verses 5 through 7, we just had another set in verse 8. We're about to get into another set beginning at verse 9 of triplets. Uh, in verse 9 in the book of Jude, he says, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. What is, what is Jude talking about here? Well, nobody's really for sure, including myself. What is he talking about? Uh, the devil disputing with Michael, the archangel, over the body of Moses. Folks, that, that's not recorded in Scripture. Uh, there's several different ways you can look at this. Uh, me personally, and, and like I said, folks, this ain't in Scripture. And what, what Jude is talking about. There is an apocryphal book, which I don't recommend you read those, but I do know that there's an apocryphal, apocryphal book called The Assumptions of Moses that has a similar uh, account in it. Uh, but if that's what Jude is talking about, who knows? Me personally, I think that there was, uh, after Moses died, there was a disputation uh, between Michael the archangel 
and the devil over the body of Moses because we, we know from Deuteronomy 34 that God took the body of Moses and God buried that body and no man knew where it was buried at. And why, why would that have been? What were the Israelites prone to doing? They were prone to making idols. They were prone to idolatry. They were prone to, uh, to worshiping things other than the Lord their God as God commanded uh, them in the commandments. Uh, that we find in Exodus chapter 12 or chapter 20. Uh, uh, so that's what I think was going on here. Satan could have got pos uh, possession of the body of Moses and Satan could have had some of his little minions or his people uh, uh, within the tribe of Israel. Some, uh, some of them very well could have been and likely were. If Satan could have got, got them to have buried Moses then they would have built a shrine unto Moses, the Israelites would have. And it's very possible because you read about them doing the same things all throughout the scriptures. You read about them uh, worshiping other gods in the groves and, and building altars unto other gods and all these other things. What's to make us think they wouldn't have built a shrine or an altar of some kind unto Moses and just stayed on the wrong side of the Jordan River instead of going into the promised land that God, that God had told them he was sending them to? That's what I think happened. But, like I said, there's no scripture to back that up. All we have is Jude's short little account here of how uh, Satan battled with uh, or, with Michael the archangel over the body of Moses. Now I will tell you, just on a side note here, where he says, Michael says, durst not bring against him, against the devil, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, hang to their thought that Michael the archangel is Jesus Christ. And there's also a couple of uh, lesser known sects that uh, hold to that as well. If no other verse in Scripture proves that that's not the case, it's this one. Because Jesus Christ rebuked Satan himself when he was being uh, uh, when he was being tempted. When he said, "Get thee hence, Satan," Jesus Christ done that himself. If Michael the Archangel is Jesus Christ, he wouldn't have had to say, "The Lord rebuked thee." Michael the Archangel could have said, "I rebuked thee," but that's not the case. But that's just a little side note. Uh, for you on, on that. But like I said, nobody knows for certain exactly why this dispute was going on uh, uh, or you know anything like that. Another way you can look at it is we, as believing Christians, are referred to as the body of Christ, are we not? So the body that was being disputed over that could have been the, the Israelites that have been following Moses through the wilderness. That's another way you can look at this. I ain't, I ain't steering you in one direction or another. But either one of those scenarios, whether it's the actual body of Moses and that God buried himself and no man knew where it was buried, or whether it was the, the body of Israelites that was following Moses through the wilderness to uh, the land of Canaan, and their, their leader... Uh, Moses, the man that God himself had put over top of those Israelites, had just passed away. Who's to say Satan wasn't disputing, saying, well, their leader is gone. Just, they're going to be mine now. Uh, uh, so that's another way that you can look at this. And I'm, like I said, I ain't staring you in one way or the other, but my personal uh, opinion is that uh, Satan wanted to have 
Moses buried somewhere where the Israelites knew that he was to keep them from crossing on over into the promised land. But that's, that's just my opinion. Uh, but uh, continuing on with this verse, notice that Michael the archangel says he durst not bring railing accusation against him. Against who? Against Satan. Uh, Michael the archangel is only brought up four or five times in the scripture, I mean by name. Every time that Michael is brought up, though, it's always in a battle type of situation. It's in a, uh, it's in a fighting type of situation. Michael is uh, basically the head over, over the angels of God. And he, uh, we, we know that he's the angel that uh, watches over Israel uh, and you know, a, few, a few other things. But keep in mind, Michael, and particularly Michael, is only brought up a few times in Scripture. We know Michael and we know Gabriel. That's the only two angels' names that we really have in the Scripture. Of course, we, we have Lucifer, uh, but that's a whole other story. But it says that he, he does not bring, uh, bring against him a railing accusation, uh, but said, the Lord rebuked thee. Listen, if Michael, the archangel, I'm guessing the most powerful angel in God's army, and it's very possible that, uh, that uh, you know, he kind of got bumped up to that position when Lucifer fell. I ain't saying that for a fact because scripture don't say it, but it's very possible. Uh, but if he is the most powerful and head of the angels of the army of God, and he doesn't say, I rebuke you, what makes us think as little finite, mortal, human beings that we can rebuke the devil outside of God. God rebukes Satan. God rebukes evil. God does these things. And yet I see it over and over, once again, especially in the charismatic movement, people saying, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. I rebuke COVID-19. I rebuke the pneumonia. I rebuke this cancer. Give you the power to do that. Who give us the power to do that? God rebukes these things. If Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you, that's exactly what we as Christians need to say. Now, I understand that, you know, God lives inside of me, and if God's inside of me, the power of God's inside of me, and all these other things. But folks, we're talking about Michael the archangel. And if he, if he had enough respect for the authority of God, to know that he didn't need to rebuke Satan. God needed to do it. And he said, the Lord rebuked thee. We need to act in the exact same manner. We need to do the exact same things. And people uh, will hear that particular type of teaching. And they'll say, well, you're just doubting the power of God. No, God's got all power. And God's got all authority. And even Michael the archangel recognized that. And if he recognized it, we... As moral human beings, we need to recognize it as well. There's nothing wrong with praying that God heals. There's nothing wrong with praying that God delivers. But you remember, it is God that does the healing. It is God that does the deliverance. And it is God that does the rebuking. Amen. We need to keep that in mind. Uh, but these speak evil. Who are these? Just a certain man crept in unawares. I'm losing stuff. 
But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally is brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. These, a certain encrypted in other words, speak evil of those things which they know not. They're speaking evil not only of the people themselves, and we know that from uh, the verse preceding the uh, verses preceding this, where he says they despise dominion and speak evil of dignities. He says that they speak evil of those things. They're speaking evil of the people and the things which they know not. It's very reminiscent of what we talked back in the book of James a few weeks ago. People wanting to teach things that they do not. That's why James gives a warning in James chapter 3 and verse 1. Brethren, be ye not many masters, knowing this, we shall receive the greater condemnation. Amen. Be not many masters is saying, you know, be not many teachers is what he was getting at. Don't, don't desire to teach, and especially not when you don't know what you're going to be teaching about, when you don't understand what you're going to be teaching. He says, they speak evil of those things which they know not. They speak evil of religion. They speak evil of Christianity. And it's no different now. People speak evil of you, and people speak evil of me because we go to church on Sunday mornings. We go to church on Sunday evenings. We go to church on Wednesdays. We might go to revivals. We might go to singings. We might, uh, uh, you know, go out and pass, uh, passing out tracts or do street evangelism. And people speak evil of us for that. People speak evil of us for being Christians, and they don't know anything about us. Amen. Be careful, Christians. You'll do the same thing. You'll speak evil of people and not know the first thing about them. Right. You be careful. Be careful look, looking down your nose, and that, that goes toward me just like it does anybody else. Amen. Be careful looking down your nose. We, we look down our nose at Peter all the time in Scripture because he denied the Lord three times. And I wish I could say I only denied him three times. I can't look down my nose at Peter. Every one of us in here denied God or denied the Lord at some point in our Christian walk. Every one of us have. Whether it be in, through speech, whether it be through action, we've denied the Lord somehow or another. And chances are it was more than the three times we had recorded uh, of Peter doing it within the scriptures. So we need to be careful uh, looking at our nose at others. But these, the certain encrypted, in other words, speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. So they're speaking evil of what they don't know, but what they do know as brute beasts, they're corrupting themselves. They're corrupting themselves uh, by what they know, and he, and he says a brute beast, he's talking about uh, the natural man, the, the, the carnal man, as uh, Paul phrased it and, uh, several times in his writings in the New Testament. He sa uh, but he says they know, but what they know naturally as brute beasts and those things, they corrupt themselves. He's comparing them to animals, saying they, they speak evil of things that they, they don't know. But what they do know, they're corrupting themselves, just like an animal would do. Folks, animals ain't stupid. I mean, I don't know how many of y'all have ever seen a squirrel find its way into a, a bird feeder, but it takes a little bit of smarts to do that. I don't know how many of you have ever seen the way the raccoons can find their ways into a trash can when there's no tree, no fence, no nothing else around it, but it takes some smarts to do that. But that's what they know to do. That's all that they know to do. But they... 
don't give an account to Almighty God for their actions. They're designed that way. That's natural. That's being a brute beast. And I understand squirrels and raccoons, brute beasts ain't the first thing that comes to my mind. But we're talking about animals and we're talking about the natural world here. And Jude is referring to these people as brute beasts. He's saying, he's saying you're no better than the animal kingdom. You're just doing what you know to do. Folks, I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million and one. Pagans have always been pagans, and they'll do what pagans do, and heathens will always do what heathens will do. There's no change in them. That's what they do. That's what they do naturally. Whether it's adultery, whether it's murder, whether it's lying or stealing or whatever the case is, that's what pagans and heathens do. And it's been like that since the dawn of time. And it will not change unless Christ makes a change in that heart. That's the only thing that will change that. But in doing what they only know to do, they're corrupting themselves, according to what Jude writes here. Verse 11, woe unto them. Folks, anytime you see a woe in Scripture, it's bad news. It's bad, bad news. Uh, and it should bring our, it should heighten our attention to what's being said. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. It says, Woe unto them, for they, who is they? Certain men crept in unawares. We've got to keep that in mind. They have gone the way of Cain. Well, what was the way of Cain? We all know who Cain was. What did Cain do? Cain offered the sacrifice that God wasn't pleased with. Abel brought a sacrifice. And Cain brought a sacrifice. And there's debate. There's arguments over why God didn't like uh, Cain's sacrifice and why he had something against him. There's argument over God accepted the blood sacrifice and not the grain sacrifice. Folks, the Bible tells us why God didn't prefer Cain's over Abel's. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, By faith Abel brought the sacrifice unto God. That tells me that Cain's wasn't in faith. That's why. And these people have gone the way of Cain. They've gone the way of Cain. They're offering things to God. And God won't accept them. Why? Because they don't have faith. They're doing, they're going through the motions. They're going through the religiosity. They're going through what mom and dad and grandma and grandpa did. And they're thinking that's what's going to get them right with God. They're thinking that's what's going to please God. And that is not what pleases God. The Bible says in that same chapter, in the same book, Hebrews 11, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's impossible to please God without faith. It don't matter what you bring to an altar, whether you bring yourself, whether you bring bring your family. If you're not doing it in faith, it'll do you no spiritual good at all. It is in faith. And these people here, the certain men crept in unawares, they have gone the way of Cain, and they're offering things to God in a spiritual sense. But they're doing it outside of faith. They might, some of, some of these people might even thought that they were doing halfway good. Now, the description of them that we have in verse 4, I'm not going to, it's by far all of them, because it says in verse 4 that these certain men that were crept in uh, uh, unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. Because of ungodly, they're without God. It says they've gone the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam 
for reward. What's the account of Balaam? My goodness, time's got away. Uh, the account of uh, Balaam, you find that in the book of Numbers. Balak wanted the children of Israel cursed. Balak being the king of Moab, he wanted the children of Israel cursed, and he sought out this uh, prophet named Balaam to put a curse on the children of Israel. In a real small, condensed nutshell, uh, Balak offered to uh, pay, pay for this service to put a curse on the children of Israel. Balaam turned it down the first time. There was another delegation of people came, said, we'll give you all kinds of riches, all kinds of, all kinds of things if you'll just do this thing. Balaam takes off with this delegation. God's working with Balaam in the background. And uh, Balaam can't curse Israel, basically is what it boils down to. He goes to, to speak over Israel, but what, he, what comes out of his mouth is a blessing. So he figures if he can't curse Israel, he'll just tell Balak how to get the upper hand over the Israelites. And he tells them, send you young women. Send, uh, you know, lead them into idolatry, basically, is what it goes, uh, goes into. And that's what he does. That's what Balak does. So instead of, uh, because he can't curse Israel, per se, or the Israelites, per se, he just tells, uh, tells Balak how he can draw them away from God. And God will do the cursing at that point. And that's exactly what happened in that account in the book of Numbers. It starts in Numbers 22, and it goes on, off and on, uh, through about Numbers 25 or so. And you can read that account yourself, that they ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Who's Kor? Kor is a, a, a man slash tribe named Korah that you find in the Old Testament. It's actually also in the book of Numbers. You can uh, read that account in Numbers chapter 16. And Korah and, uh, got several people in the camp against Moses. Why was that? He was speaking evil of dignities. He despised dominion, just as we were talking about up here in verse 8. He was doing the same thing that Jude is addressing here. Korah was doing these things. They didn't think Moses was doing a good job. They, they wanted to quote-unquote help Moses. What they really wanted was the authority that God had given Moses. They wanted that authority. They wanted to run the camps. They wanted to, uh, to do the things that Moses was doing. And what did God do? Well, first of all, what did Moses do? Moses said, well, okay, we'll see who God wants in charge. They grab your censers. We'll go to God and we'll see. They grab these censers at the incense was burned in, they go, God tells Moses, back off, something big's about to happen. Moses backs off, and the entire ground uh, uh, opens up and swallows Korah and his followers. And a little while after that, there's fire that consumes some, some of the other ones. Why, why did all that happen? Why did it all happen? Because they were despising the dominion that God had given Moses over the Israelites. And if they were despising the dominion that God had put over the Israelites, or that Moses had over the Israelites, they were despising God himself because he's the one that put Moses in charge on them. That was really condensed. we got five minutes. We might hit on that again next week. Uh, uh, we might get into a little bit more detail on that. Anybody got any questions or any comments? All right. God bless you all.